In Pan's Labyrinth, the fawn was 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 very uh, gestury and handsy, but but also like had. I got some direction from Guillermo to make you know because you're trying to channel a goat and a man and a tree, kind of like because my my feet were my legs were hoof feet, but they were kind of also tree branchy rooty looking, and, and I had to age backwards as well. So when you first meet the fawn in the beginning of the Pan's Labyrinth, he's decrepit and you know got cataracts in his eyes and he's kind of grayish and colorless. And as the movie progresses, he gets younger every time you see him and more fluid with his with his movement and more postured. So. Uh, that was that was you know quite a a thing to delve into. Hello, and welcome to Spill Your Guts. I'm your host, Kevin Lane. Frankenstein's monster, the Wolfman, Nosferatu, or Count Orlok, and the Phantom of the Opera. All iconic monsters of early cinema, played by equally iconic actors such as Max Schreck, Boris Karloff, Lone Chaney, and Lone Chaney Jr. These performances have stood the test of time not only for their inspired makeup and design, but because the actors portraying them found the heart in the monster. Whether it's Karloff's touching humanity as Dr. Frankenstein's shun creation, or Max Schreck's spidery skulking as one of cinema's earliest vampires, these are the performances that paved the way for countless monsters throughout film history. In the current genre landscape, there is one man who casts a very, very long shadow. He has portrayed so many memorable characters that will endure that it's hard to count. That actor is Doug Jones. For some, Doug's first standout role will be as Billy Butcherson in the Halloween classic Hocus Pocus. For others, it's Abe Sapien in Guillermo del Toro's hit Hellboy. For myself, it's his dual role as the Fawn and the Pale Man in del Toro's dark fantasy masterpiece, Pan's Labyrinth. And it's in Doug Jones that del Toro found his muse. Doug's almost supernatural way of communicating through movement, what most actors could not say in a monologue, has created a celebrated ongoing collaboration between one of genre cinema's finest filmmakers, and one of genre cinema's best actors. This episode is very special because not only do I adore Doug, I also had the opportunity to sit down with him in person in Toronto. Listeners of Spill Your Guts may know that most of our conversations are recorded remotely. I can't imagine a better guest for me to have had the opportunity to speak with in person. Doug greeted me with his wonderful smile and swept me into a hug and I couldn't help but think of Ophelia being embraced by the fawn in one of the many touching scenes in Pan's Labyrinth. Doug and I talk about his childhood self-consciousness about his body, his early mime work, and sort of meeting Christopher Walken on the set of Tim Burton's gothic masterpiece Batman Returns, his deliciously evil role as a cannibal in Larry Fessenden's episode of Fear Itself, and his many collaborations with Del Toro, such as their best picture Oscar-winning film, The Shape of Water. As much as Doug has portrayed characters in many magical films, there is nothing more magical than the man himself. Welcome to the wondrous world of Doug Jones. Hi, Doug. Hi. Welcome. I'm glad we're 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 here. We made it. We did. Yeah. After a little bit of a kerfuffle about location, where you thought you might be apprehended by 
some unseemly characters. Well, it would be just like movies I've played in. I've been a bad guy who's been <laughs> threatening. I thought maybe you were just trying to do the same thing to me. I didn't know. Well. <laughs> Come to this location, Doug. Yeah. <laughs> I promise it's a studio. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fine. It, yeah. It's a dark alley at the end. You walk around a corner. Right, right, right. It's, just, it's all good. <laughs> I'm the guy in the ski mask. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the Facebook page, that's that's me, I promise. Um, uh, but thank you so much for coming. It's really it is my thanks for having me. It's so great to have you here. I'm um a big fan. Mm. Great big fan. So um I wanna sort of start off um by kind of it's always interesting to me when I have different guests on the show to sort of look at things that they've said themselves at a certain point and kind of get rolling that way. And so this is a quote. Now, you can tell me because the Internet oh sometimes says things that isn't true. I, I'm told this. Sure. It's sometimes stuff you read. <laughs> really? It's yeah, not the gospel I, truth? I swear. Oh, wow. Sometimes stuff on the Internet ain't so. Okay. But you I'm tell go- me. I'm going to Google that and find out if it's <laughs> yeah, true. That's right. Do a search if <laughs> everything on the internet is, is true. Is everything true on the internet? <laughs> the answer will be yes. It's all of true. Of course it would be. Um, so this is supposedly something you said. You can tell me, one, if it's true, and two, uh, and elaborate for me okay. on, on this statement. You said, people who know your work and know your personality, they know your strengths and weaknesses. A director like Guillermo del Toro, he knows more about me than I do. Did you uh, say that? True. I, I I don't know if I said all people know that, <laughs> but Guillermo is the is uh, one of the. He's like a unique director in that he uh, he knows his actors better than we know ourselves. Yes, I have said that, and I meant it because um, he he's so, he's such a uh, an absorber of of everything. Uh, the world around him is is he's observant of all of it, and people. He'll find out your personality and and your whole set of buttons on you. Um, what what motivates you? What are you afraid of? Uh, what you know? So he directs each of us very differently from each other. That's and that's a gift of his. When I'm you know let's use Hellboy as you know, those two movies as an example with Ron Perlman, Selma Blair, and me, three very different personality types, three three different very very different people with different backgrounds and different. Uh, you know, different ecosystems. And so he knows when, when they're directing us, what is going to get us motivated to do that thing that he needs now? You know, what what adjustments does he need? And what does he say or do with us that, that brings that up? Uh, with me, he knows that if he makes me chuckle, uh, that I'll, I'll get his point. Like uh, I, Hellboy, Hellboy 2, one of my favorite moments was I was doing this long bit of business with no dialogue and the camera was circling me and he had no nothing to cut away to. So this take got longer and longer because I was just fiddling with all these props. And after the first take, all he said was, Doug Jones, you're boring me to tears. <laughs> so I, I busted out laughing and I fixed the problem. Uh, with Selma, I noticed there was a scene where, where he needed to get her agitated and angry. Uh, talking to uh, um, Jeffrey... Um, Tambor. Tambor's character, yes. Uh, and and uh, so he, between takes, he would, he would push on her arm and make her fight him, push back. Give me some pushback physically between takes. I thought, gosh, that's brilliant because yeah. it did. It got her into this fighting kind of mode. Like, don't you push me? And then the, he, the camera rolls, and she's she was feisty. It was it was lovely to watch. So uh, yeah, so that that's a, it's a gift he has. Is that something that you find you know when you're working with different directors that you sort of um, you know every director like every actor or any other person has their different strengths and skills and and I know that uh, you know yourself as, as well as other actors have talked about Guillermo understanding mm-hmm. how to form a connection with with the actors and, and, mm-hmm. and sort of how to communicate with them um, 
But do you find when you get into different sets that different directors have different styles and you sort of assess at a certain point, okay, this is where their strengths are and have to kind of work with them, mm-hmm. you know, accordingly? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, again, having having worked for 36 years now um, in film and TV, so many different, different types of, of directors. There are some who are very strong with actors. There are some who are very strong with um you know, say visual, they come from visual effects background or they come from a, an action back or a stunt background even sometimes. Um, um, so if they're, if they're more, uh, technical and wow and explosion kind of a director, uh, I've been on film, I, I, yeah, those will remain, remain unnamed, but, <laughs> but I've been on a, a, a set or two where between takes all the actors run to the monitor to watch playback so they can direct themselves for the next take right that's that's a not ideal it's not ideal yeah uh, because that director is really strong with action and and visual effects and, and practical effects he wants things exploding and cars crashing at the right point in the right time and, and great with camera you know moves and things which is a, a gorgeous piece of filmmaking of course but if you're you know ignoring your actors that's not going to be um it doesn't. It doesn't serve anybody. So, uh, so like Adele Toro again is is an is a director who has his hands in all of it. Right. Uh, he he has an interest in all of it and he and a love for all of it. So every department he has worked in at some point. And uh, when he was making his own films down in Mexico when he started out, he did everything. So he he appreciates all departments and and what they bring to the table. And he's a, very much a collaborator for that. Uh, so, and you, you, you also will have some directors who are, are very, very actor intense and they're actually, it's almost like they're, they're con- conducting an acting class while you're on set with them, right. which is d- delightful. But then other elements, they, they need, you know, uh, some input from other departments to say, you know, I see what you're doing, but it's not going to work because X, Y, Z. Right. Know? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm curious too, like, so you grew up in Indianapolis, right? I did. And you had four brothers? Uh, I, I am one of four. I have three older brothers. Okay, right. three older. So you're the, the youngest. I'm, I'm the youngest. Do you think you know, growing up as the youngest, did that help sort of cultivate a sense of performance <laughs> to entertain your brothers and your family? It's funny how many youngest's are in show business as, yeah. as actors. Same uh, with me. You that, too? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I immediately was like, <laughs> yeah, three brothers. You yeah. know, I just had one sister, but that's totally where I came from. Was you know, getting together groups and you know, I would orchestrate the plays right. and charge admission and <laughs> like that's the one. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. me too. And I was the one who would mimic my older brothers and make fun of them. And uh, it was all defense mechanism, of course, because I, I was intimidated by by them. They taunted me physically and uh, mentally, more psychological <laughs> than anything. Jeez, yeah, that's intense. <laughs> oh yeah, well you know, I, yeah, uh, I was easy to, to toy with. So, um, uh, so yeah, so you, you end up becoming a performer. And, and also being a tall, skinny, goofy, skinny-necked, you know, geeky kid, um, uh, I think the, the acting thing was also came as, as a, well, I'm going to get validation this way then. When I walked into a room, I was, I was the odd-looking one as a kid. And um, other children are not kind, so they might make fun of you and like, hey, you look at their ears tall. <laughs> yeah, uh, constantly making asse- you know assessments of my physicality and and how wrong it was. Right. So okay, well if this is how it's gonna be, why don't I walk into the room and make them laugh before they can, can laugh at you? Can laugh at me? Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I'll control when that happens and how. So I think that's that's where the performer in me started getting developed, really. So d- would. In in some ways, do you think that that love of performance and whatever developed from you know sort of insecurity or oh totally for me yeah. it did anyway yeah and I, mean, I can't speak for all actors of right. course we're all very different from each you know 
Yeah. And is that is is that part of you still there, or is that has, has, did that change over time? Well, now that I'm 62, <laughs> I'm I've settled into my own skin more finally. Right. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I can, I, I trust my own choices and my own, and I've, and I've, I've come to love and accept my look as well. Right. I, I, I fought the look for a long time. I did not like being a tall, skinny guy. Um, but, but I've come to find the beauty in it. And what helped with that is, is the creature effects industry that I, that, that has been so kind to me, uh, in the movie business, uh, over the years. Um, one of the, one of the early, I was on an episode of the X-Files back in, you know, 1946, <laughs> whatever that was. Um, and um, I was getting getting um, a makeup test done for this alien. It was an alien hybrid, I think. And I'm not even sure that that character aired. I think I think that scene was cut out of a, of a season finale. And I remember what season it was. It was so early on. Um, but I was a, a, a human-alien hybrid test subject that it was being like, you know, a secret test subject was, you know, what happens when we mix the DNA. Right. Okay. So that makeup was the look going on me. John Vulich was the uh, the head of the makeup shop that was doing this at Optic Nerve. And and he's circling. I'm, I'm sitting in this chair for the first time at this makeup test. And he circles me and looks at my, he's looking me up and down with this fascinated look on his face. And he said, has anyone ever told you what a beautiful neck you have? <laughs> And I was like, "Thank you." <laughs> no, <laughs> right? <laughs> Never, because that was that was the one thing that was made fun of the most when really? I was a kid. Was my tall, was my long skinny neck? I was called ostrich more times than I can count. I learned okay. to hate ostriches for yeah. that reason, <laughs> or, and it wasn't their fault. No, <laughs> yeah. poor things. Yeah, right, poor things. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so to hear that was like, wow. I wonder. I wonder if I can ever get to the point where I see the beauty in that yeah. as well. Yeah, and, and I have now. And I've always sort of talked about, and I'm sure you, you you can relate to this, that I think genre filmmaking in particular is, you know, I think a lot of people who make horror and work in, in horror or fantasy, sci-fi, and, and any of those genres, um, there's a bit of an island of misfit toys quality <laughs> to those to those genres, you know, that yeah. you don't, you get into things like dramas, romantic comedies, so much of it is pretty people, you know, and tra- I should say traditionally pretty people, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I think, you know, you look at, um, you know, Guillermo's films, or or some of the films uh, that some of the guys like Wes Craven or John Carpenter made, that have a they have their own. You know, I remember in Swamp Thing, there's a great line where uh, Adrian Barbeau and the monster are talking in the swamp, and and he says, you know, if you look around you, this swamp is a beautiful place. Everything's alive. And as a young kid, that, I remember getting, tearing up at that moment mm-hmm. because it was such a different way to look to at look something at that most people look at another way. All about perspective, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I think you know. Horror, in particular, to me, allows and fantasy allows people to look through the lens and see things differently. You know, that kaleidoscopic way of seeing things, be- as beautiful that other people might see differently because they don't uh, they don't see it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's interesting you're talking about sort of coming from a background where people might have teased you about having a long neck or something like that. For me, you know, it was uh, you know that that fear of people finding out the secret of me being a gay person was going to mm-hmm. be, you know, something that so, you know, it was like having to pretend to be someone else. And and that's I often I think for me how it started wanting to be an actor was getting to do that professionally, you know, because I was doing it every day anyway. Do you remember the period mm-hmm. in your youth where you finally made a commitment to I think I want to be an actor, I want to be a performer? Oh, well, mm. Yeah, well, I think uh, 
the, the moment where it really stuck was when I was in uh, in high school and doing casting my first play, getting up on stage for the first time in front of an audience and see, hearing their reaction. Something I did was hilariously funny to them, or something I did was touching where I got a oh. <laughs> uh, those kind of reactions were like, oh, I love this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, but then what before what happened before I got to that stage was um, was watching sitcoms at, on TV. It was the sitcoms and the goofy, funny people. Again, being feeling very goofy and out of sorts, and seeing someone that that kind of that I recognize, like a Jerry Lewis or a Danny Kay, or uh, Barney Fife, played by Don Knotts on the on the Mayberry Wonderful show. Wonderful actor, yeah. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. He was my hero. He was like because he was like you know goofy and and kind of uh, you know inept and uh, and kind of talked funny and looked funny and, and and i and i but i could relate to him also a skinny necked fellow with a big set of lips and big buggy eyes and it was like yeah and i thought you know if, if he has a place on television maybe i do too so like i think i just started seeing that as a life that i might want to have one day yeah you mentioned um don Knotts. who are some of the other performers that were influential to you Early in your career, uh, Dick Van Dyke, um, uh, anybody on the Carol Burnett show. Uh, I love the. I grew up in a variety show era too, so everybody had a variety show, um, and so it was comedy sketches uh, with with character people. You know, and being a character actor, I realized, you know, looking at myself in the mirror and realized, you know, I want to be an actor. I knew I was not going to be a romantic leading man, unless I was in a fish suit, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> but. Um, uh, but but with with you know with my my look and my persona, I had to be either funny or scary. I just came right. to, I just came to terms with that, and that's yeah. fine. So my career has been funny and scary. Uh, if I play a human, especially, I'm often playing uh, the devil in human form. You know, right? Uh, the Anthony Perkins <laughs> kind of a thing, where yeah. it's, he's a he's a kind of a docile looking fellow who's got an evil streak or yes, something. Yeah. Or just the goofy sidekick that to you know, there's a handsome friend and I'm the I'm the goofy one, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I've had a life of that, which is great and fine. It, it, there's a longevity to that kind of a of a of an acting career. Yeah, I, I've read um, actors who, who uh, I can't remember who it was now, but uh, a, a character actor who said that they never wanted to to play the leads because it was too much responsibility. They said, "I like that we go to these exotic places and I get to see them." Whereas that Harrison Ford or whoever, they're on set every, every day, day. All day and they don't get to do any of the carrying fun stuff. the weight of the show. Yeah, no, I love being second fiddle. I do. Yeah, for that very same reason. I uh, if it's a flop, it's not my fault. If it's right. a success, I can enjoy the ride. But mm, yeah, it's a lot less pressure. I mean, I think, of, but in something like Shape of Water. That's lines a bit blurry, right? Because <laughs> it was, you know, yeah. Because you are very much the male lead of that film. Yeah, I know. Which was a, which was a, a funny thing to hear when when Guillermo del Toro is sitting you down to tell you that story before the script is written, having a little meeting with you, and he says, "Dougie, you're going to be the romantic leading man <laughs> of this movie," <laughs> and I was like, eh, "How does how does that um how as a fish, as a fish man?" But, uh, but as I've said before, uh, he was the one director who could pull that off, and I knew that when I yeah. heard when I heard "Romantic Leading Man" is a fish merman. You know what? It's Del Toro. Yes, he can make it. Let's work. do it. Yeah, make it. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. No kidding. Um, yes. I also was reading about your your background in, in mime, which is yeah. of course you know, a very old uh, performance profession. I, it even got me like going, you know, I don't know a ton about 
mime as a discipline. No, no, nobody does. I know, and I, so I started reading about it, and it was like, wow, it's ancient. Like yeah, as, a, yeah. as a as a like a, going back to something that was done as a as, as a form of worship, mm. um, you know, and all these things. I was reading about what a, what an interesting. History. I haven't studied that far. Yeah, what, really? yeah, I, that's how it began. Was uh, mime? Well, this is at least in the, the reading I did. Was yeah. began as a, a form of uh, of doing performance for for uh, in, in religious ceremonies. Um, hmm. But I just thought it was fascinating to look at you know such a, a, a historically you know important performance art that not a lot of people know a lot about. Yeah. Um, what drew you to, to, to doing mime work and, and getting involved in mime? Well, I was aware of, of mime. Uh, of course, you know, in high school, my drama class, we touched on pantomime as a, you know, right. one of our weeks of study was that. Uh, and um, But it was really television. At, again, everybody had a variety show, including Shields and Yarnell, which was a, a, a married couple that was a mime team. And... Uh, uh, and they had the, uh, like a summer replacement kind of a um, variety show that, that fascinated me to see like sketch after sketch of, you know, stories that were funny and hilarious. And one of their most popular funny uh, sketches that was recurring on their show was the Clinkers, these two robot characters, the Clinkers at home. And so it would be these two robots that were, <laughs> you know, kind of like moving around <laughs> and, you know, doing th- mundane things at home, like, you know, pouring cereal and getting it all wrong. It's going in the wrong you know, milk spilling all over the table, but they didn't really care because they were robots. <laughs> uh, so no, they were they were uh, very popular. Uh, pop culture, in, uh, you know, uh, ingested them and, and and loved them. So uh, so so everybody in my era from that show knew what mime was because of them. And then when I got to college at Ball State University, um, my freshman year there, uh, there was a senior down the hall from me at the dorm named Reed K. Steele, and he was the uh, he was the the leader of a mime troupe on campus that he started, called Mime Over Matter. Very clever. Oh, okay. yeah, okay. that's good. Okay, to play on words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> and, really um, good. It's really good. Uh, so, so he, him observing me, uh, you know, in the uh, cafeteria downstairs, when I, he approached me one day and was like, um, "Have you ever heard of?" The art of mime. I'm like, yes, I have actually. <laughs> so he said, "You, yeah, well, I, I lead the mime troupe here on campus. What? Come see one of our shows. I think you'd be." And I did, and it was like, I was mesmerized by watching this, like an actual mime troupe that, you know, that had studied the art, um, do, doing Shields and Yarnell kind of sketches, but but I, I but it was, a, you know, a two-hour show, and I, I laughed, I cried, I did all of it, and, and without one prop or one verbal line of dialogue in the entire show. It was, it was fascinating to see, you know. Uh, and I'm really grateful for that because without that art form and that training then mm-hmm. when i did audition for the troupe and made it in and, and became a four-year member of that troupe during college i um i had to learn how to communicate with just visual right, right? You, you can't rely on verbal dialogue because there is none so yeah how do you get a point across with facial expression with a gesture with a posture with a movement and how do you create things that aren't there with your body so that really did was great uh, base training to move into um now you've got rubber on you and you have to you know channel a monster that also doesn't have verbal dialogue yeah so you know um 
or, or or does have verbal dialogue, but you also have to give a visual a visual performance that makes sense with this hideous look you're, you're wearing or right. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's curious too. You know, <clears throat> going through and, and watching the various characters you play. You know, talking about the monster characters, not not when you don't have prosthetics and things on, but um, that there's. Um, as much as a lot of the characters are unique, but you do notice that, you know, much like actors have a, they play different characters, but there's certain visual things that actors do, body language things. And mm-hmm. it was amazing to watch the, the, the modulations you'd, you'll make with different characters, but that there's certain things I can see that are sort of Doug Jones trademarks <laughs> within some of these characters. You know, a certain elegance to the way that you move <clears throat> that other monster actors that, you know, a lot of wonderful other monster actors, they don't move that way. And do, do you find that when you come onto a project, and the director has, you know, got a monster. It's a monster character you're playing. That they'll say, you know, do that thing you did in this thing, and you have to say, no, I'm do. I want to do something different here. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they like something they saw on, you know, Pan's Labyrinth or something. Right, 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 right. Um, it, no, that's that's actually a rare piece of direction. I don't get that very much, honestly. That's good. <laughs> uh, which is really, really thing I'm grateful for. Um, I have had, I've had human, I've had I've played human characters where I've had a director say, give me some Doug Jones on this one. So we'll do a take where I, I give it something more of a flourish or a, yes. hand, a hand gesture or yeah. a, a tilt of the head. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I know what they what they mean when they say that. Yeah. Yes. Unfortunately, I'm stuck with one with one body and one face. So there is some, you know, there's certain things you can't help but do. Yeah. Um, but but the, I do have a challenge to make every, you know every character different from the one I played before. Uh, you know, so I, I would do want to find something, uh, some quirk or some uh, personality trait or some gesture that that is that is that character's alone um right so that uh, that is a challenge the more you do the, the less you have to pick from then like okay, yeah. what, what other new thing is there that i haven't done yet right <laughs> yeah 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 you know? yeah i remember um you know i when i was sort of studying there was a period i went through where i was sort of studying a lot of the great monster performers you know lon chaney and Bruce mm. oh he like was god Right, he's intimidating to watch because he's so <laughs> yeah, so good and such a chameleon. Yeah, and it, you know one of the ones though that I, that I found that kept getting left off the list who who I think is one of the great monster actors is Tim Curry. Oh right, who I think is so marvelous in oh. those performances. Well, uh, Darkness in yeah. Legend or was that yeah, right? what oh, an was... incredible piece of work. one of those beautiful Pennywise the, the clown oh, like dads, right yeah he's wonder and you know it's funny yeah. because I, I don't think I think so many people think of Tim because it's a marvelous way of speaking they think of so many of his great speaking roles but to me the, the big it was head to toe with him yeah absolutely it was, he, and, and I think you know if, on that list of the great monster actors I think that, you, that you're on that list as the great oh. monster actor of your time Ted Zeke's thank you um <laughs> But what do you think when, you know, you study those performers, like, you know, I'm guessing that you watched people like Chaney and, and kind of went, mm. okay, how do they, you know, mm-hmm. and just sort of like, like anyone does to look at the greats that preceded them. Mm-hmm. What do you think makes for a great monster performer? Mm. Uh, I, truth, right? Uh, trying not to, uh, well, uh, I think it, the mistake that an actor might make when wanting to play monsters uh, is uh, I can move my elbows really scary-like. And you're like, well, I don't know that elbows are going to really scare people. It has to start in here <laughs> right. with an intention that an actor should have to know the character, what his wants, needs, loves are, even if it's a bad guy. Uh, that's where the real comes from. Your elbows are motivated by what's in the heart. Uh, so just to go like, this is an intimidating move. Ah, <laughs> yeah. right, right. It might look cool, but you're not going to feel the fear yes. or the, that it's supposed to come from it if the intention isn't there behind right. it. Right. So I, I, yeah, I think it has to start as just truth. Truth is, is where it starts. 
And I think that's interesting to me, you know, I watching so many of the great performances you've done as, as in monster characters or creature characters and noticing that um that you know, it's a it, to me it's a weird delineation to make that sort of delineation between actor and monster actor or creature actor. And I right. think that that's like a sort of a I, it's not a delineation I would make because it's 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 a performance by an actor. And I thank you for that. Yeah, because I, I <laughs> it's an uphill battle all my career. It feels <laughs> if I were you, that would annoy me. I think. <laughs> well, the title that I don't that I don't love hearing is suit performer. It's suit u- it, performer. It's That's ra- like a yeah. Yeah, it's used rather uh, 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 commonly. Uh, oh yeah, you're a great suit performer. You're the, uh, you know suit performers go. You're like really. Good. So it's a lovely compliment, but at the same time, I'd rather just be called an actor because that is where I start. Like yeah. I just talked about, like I, I I have to do all the actor prep work that any other actor has to do, and then on top of that comes oh here's this look that we have to bring to life. So you're an actor plus when you're when you're playing a monster. Yeah, that's what seems sort of odd to me is that sort of, you know, you look at how someone might sort of ghettoize that, I guess, in a way is going, <laughs> well, you know, it's, right. it's well, it's, it's it's like an actor, but it's a they're a monster right. performer. And I'm like, no, it looks to me like it's probably harder. Yeah, because because, you know, I, I remember um, there was an actor who was talking about uh, he did a movie. It's a very obscure movie called Puppet Master 2. And he had to play he had a mask on because he was burned in it. So he had bandages on. Mm. And he said, you know, when you've got your face covered, that's so much as an actor. It's a huge part of what your tool is to work with. And when you can't use that, you have to use your body in a way to create that character right. or that performance to be expressive that challenges you in unique ways. And, right. and everything is different when you have to do it that way. Um you know, have you found when you're playing uh, characters that, that have, you know, lots of prosthetics or different things that, that, you know, oh, geez, you know, that thing I tried to do to be expressive, that's not coming through all of this. I'm going to have to modulate that or emphasize that in a way, um, you know, to, to get that across. Right, right, right. Well, yeah, exactly. When, you, when you're wearing, um, say, a makeup across your face and you want to get like a one eyebrow kind of expression to come across and your eyebrows aren't moving. Right. Right. Then what do you do? Yeah. So a cock of the head and a, and a move of the neck might sell it. Right. Um, you did two films in the 90s, Batman Returns and Hocus Pocus, which I think, you know, at the time were kind of underappreciated films. You know, critics weren't super generous to them. Particularly, I was, you know, going back and reading the kind of criticism, like Hocus Pocus got pulverized critics were just like real mean to that movie mm. just you know bet miller's performance is annoying and all this and now it's funny because that movie is so beloved it, it's amazing how the afterlife that one has had right and batman returns to it opened big but then it yeah but you know that era uh the early 90s was still a movie comes out and then it fades yeah over time uh, those two have, with television runs and home home video collections, whatever whatever format that is now, uh, have only grown in popularity. I still get people that tell me that Batman Returns is their favorite of all Batman movies ever. I'm right there. I, I agree. Are you? Oh, well, thank bless yeah. you for that. Yeah, I agree. So, and you know, playing against, I wasn't second fiddle. I was like tenth fiddle in that. I was, you know, one of one of Penguin's henchmen clown guys, thin clown. A memorable one though. Bless you. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, uh, yeah, that's that's been lovely to go on, to be on that ride all these all these years. But Hocus Pocus is the one is the phenomenon that I really did not expect when it came out in theaters. It, well, I think I think it was an advertising issue too. They advertised it as a Bette Midler comedy because she was on her string of big touchstone films. Then you know after uh, she had done 
uh, you know, Down and Out in Beverly Hills and Outrageous Fortune and, uh, you know, Ruthless People and, and Beaches had just come out before that. Right. So the all beach. these... One, Some people saw that one, right? Beaches. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that one was popular. after another. Yeah, right. So they were banking on, on Bette's name uh, as a summer comedy movie. And so they released it in July. A Halloween movie. For, it was really a kid's film. This is a Disney kid's film. Yeah. So it was advertised. And so I think that might, might be another reason why critics... And same thing happened with Crimson Peak, by the way. Crimson Peak, another Del Toro film that was brilliant and gorgeous. Yeah. The gothic romance advertised as a Halloween horror film. Right. And it was not that. No, it wasn't. So no. when you're advertised and you're expecting one thing and you get another, that's when the critics go, ah, you know? Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. So I think Hocus Pocus got, just got off on the wrong foot. Um, but now that it, is, that it is understood that it is a family-friendly Halloween film, goofy comedy, uh, it, it, that's people love it for that. They they, they know what they're getting, because um, you know television airing of the whole month of October. It's on high rotation on on whatever channel, whether it's Freeform or Disney or now Disney Plus, and uh, so um, so getting all the way up to uh, 29 years later now, it is more popular is now it than that it, long since it's been 29 was... years since it came out. That in makes theaters. me feel older. You, yeah. you, you you feel old. I was 30-something when, when we made it. So, 30- so was I. I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> You're a puppy. So, um, uh, uh, so to, to you know, be, be almost three decades later now, uh, and it's more popular now than it ever was back, th- back then. Um, That's is- the crazy thing about that movie to me is I remember being a kid and, you know, like I remember the film. But uh, now it's like, you know, you look, you see conventions where like the cosplay and all that people are, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, and this was a movie that when it came out, like, you know, I, I think you would say it wasn't successful. Like it wasn't. No, it was a box office flop. They totally yeah. said that out loud. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, again, over time and with it, with everyone has a copy. Well, you know, everyone had it on. Uh, a lot of people bought it for their kids with their Disney collection, whether it was on VHS and then DVD, what's that? And then you got the Blu-ray, <laughs> and then you got the 4K, and now you got the Collector's 10 edition, and you yeah, got the, yeah, yeah. the 25th anniversary yep. edition, and the whatever. So it's been, had many incarnations, um, and and then now with the streaming platforms, it's just it's it, there. You can't not have it. <laughs> so uh, and I'm so that jerk. I've bought like five versions of the same movies over, and, and it, all they have to do is like change the artwork a bit. And I'll right, right. It. And you That's, get the net, yep. if it's a favorite, absolutely. Yeah, right? totally. I mean, the amount of times I've bought, you know, like Halloween, the John Carpenter film. Like, yeah, of course. Just, you know, oh, Donald Pleasance was on that cover. I'll take that one. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. And and what you mentioned, co- uh, uh, cosplayers, uh, not only at conventions but. Halloween parties. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I bet. I get tagged in so many photos every year. Uh, you know, hey, we dressed up as you. Uh, the three witches and Billy are, 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 are always at parties or, you know, trick-or-treating right. or whatever. Adults and kids alike. Billy Butcherson is the character you play in Hocus yes. Pocus. And he's a fun character because, you know, I, I was, you know, as I was telling you before we started the interview, I hadn't seen Hocus Pocus. I think I remembered seeing bits and pieces as a kid, yeah, yeah. but but at that time I was already you know well on my journey to Freddy Krueger and stuff. So <laughs> I was like, Ben Mantler, no way. Um, and now you know it's that thing in my life. I'm like, Ben Mantler's the best. And, I know. Yeah. Um, right. I just didn't know that then. Um, I think that then it was Dolly Parton is who I was really oh, into of then. Course, still of love course. her though. No, still, like, who doesn't love Dolly? Right. Bad people. Bad, huh? bad people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember, you know, when I was when I was 
thinking about that movie and I was like, I remember, you know, it looked cool. It looked fun. But so I watched it, you know, because I was like, I, I, everyone I know loves it. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those ones I hadn't seen. Mm-hmm. The Billy Butcher scene character is so fun because, you know, you get to do kind of the fun zombie stuff, but also be likable and, and a right. funny character. I was, I was a zombie before zombies were cool. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. And, and certainly before, you know, we've had all these different kind of zombie movies. Romero kind of kicked off the zombie thing. Yeah, it was, and, it was post-Romero, but pre-Walking Dead. And Shaun of the Dead, you know, when, when they made zombies funny. Funny, right, exactly. So that, you know, that to me is one of the early, I, I mean, maybe some of the Tales from the Crypt stuff might have had stuff like mm, funny zombies mm-hmm, or something, mm-hmm. but that's, you know, to me, I was like, this is, you know, a great zombie character. Like, was yeah. it was it a fun juxtaposition being able to kind of go, well, I can do some of the scary bits with this guy, but I also get to kind of, there's almost a slapsticky quality to Billy, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, talk about physicality. Well, yeah. Uh, well, remember, Hocus Pocus 1 was directed by Kenny Ortega, who came from a dance background. He was a, a well-known choreographer. I mean, we worked with Michael Jackson, for crying out loud. So, uh, so he... Um, he was very into the visual aspect of, of of any character. So with Billy, he just wanted me to play. He wanted he was very collaborative and wanted me to play as much as possible and bring in like the creaky. You've been dead for three hundred years. You're waking up, so not everything works quite right. So you're a little bit discombobulated. Yeah. And, and and with my head falling off as easily. I mean, he's connected by dust. So it's right. so things yeah. fall off easily. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I feel like that sometimes these days. Don't yeah. you though? Yeah, the older yeah, I get, yeah. tell yeah. me about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, so that that was also fun to play with. You know, you, uh, every time my head came off a couple times in the first movie, and I say first movie because there is a second one coming. I, I yeah, I think I. That's another thing the internet told me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, did you have you shot it already? Already shot. And oh, it's done. done. Okay. It comes out September thirty. Oh, soon! Oh, yeah, wow! On Disney Plus. So oh, that's it's, exciting. It's coming soon. Yeah, it's not going theatrical. I guess, I guess not. I, I've only heard Disney Plus September thirtieth, so I, mean, I think it would do a great theatrical run now. Yeah, you need I, to have a two hundred fifty million dollar though to, I think we, yeah, to we, be in theaters now. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. It's like, but I, but I think it might. I don't know because with the popularity and and the anticipation of this sequel, the sequel, yeah. the sequel was rumored and talked about long before it was a done deal. Right. Uh, they started talking about it at our twentieth anniversary, and we're at twenty nine years now. So the wow. past nine years, I've been hearing about. Oh my gosh, it's gonna. Yeah. And and uh, anytime any of us from the from the original cast are interviewed and saying, you know, if there's a part two, would you be in it? And we all go, oh yeah, we'd love to. Uh, Bette Miller said it, Sarah Jessica Parker said it, Kathy and Jimmy have said it, and I've said it. And every time one of us says it in an interview, a fan says, you guys, it's happening. So then they'll make a fan-made <laughs> poster with Photoshop, and it'll, and and they put that gets out there, and then it's like, oh, are you going to be in the new movie? I was asked seven years ago. And I'm like, oh, there isn't a new movie yet. Well, we're hoping, but yeah. no, you know, yeah. Not the, quite there. An actor saying, I would love to do it does not make it happen. No. You know, we have to, it, a lot take, make, you know. <laughs> if only it were so. <laughs> it all came together finally, though, and yeah. it really is a real thing now. Well, that, that's um, that's exciting. It's exciting. And surreal, uh, because, you know, I, I think there's a lot of movies out there now that are having long sequ- uh, long yes. time between original yeah. and sequel, right? Yeah. You've got these... 20, 30 year sequels. Oh, you know, one of the ones that I, that I loved as a kid was The Dark Crystal, the Jim Henson sort of oh, fantasy yes. epic. And then when it was out on Netflix a couple of years ago, after all this time, I was like, wow, that's got to be one of the longest gaps <laughs> for right, a movie, Chris, right. you know what I mean, to, right. to come yeah, back. Isn't there, there's another, another, and the Halloweens, of course. Um, oh, yeah. The, the, well, those will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and, um, and well, even and like Top Gun recently is just yes, a, as a, yeah, as a that's sequel, right. you know. Yeah. Uh, so the, these long running, uh, you know, been, been around for a long time. And what, 
I think there's a fascination with a sequel that comes out that much after the first yeah, one. Yeah, and I think, what, you know, do they, what do they look like now? Yeah, what are they doing now? Yeah, you know, and if it's Tom Cruise, pretty pretty similar. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know, bless his heart, God. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting too because that nostalgia factor that's become so prevalent mm-hmm. in, in you know in cinema and in cinema culture. It's like there's so many things now. Right. I think that are sort of guided by that that idea of you know the people that grew up on these movies. And the you know it's funny. Like I had a, a, a one of my nieces uh, was asking me about growing up, and you know wasn't that you grew up in like the coolest time? I was like it didn't seem like it then. <laughs> it you know what I mean? my memory of the '80s is not that it was the coolest time. Yeah. Like you know, um, but but it certainly has things like Stranger Things and stuff is sort of brought the 80s into this you know through a lens i think though of just looking at the parts that were cool mm-hmm. <laughs> there were yeah. a lot of great movies yeah, you know yeah, in the yeah, 80s yeah. and that's yeah. something i think you know and particularly when i think of a lot of great sequels is the one thing you look at when you see mm-hmm. the 80s and 90s but you know batman returns being a sequel um you know i i think it's my favorite kind of superhero movie mm. because of tim burton's you know uh, kind of the lens he saw that move through where it has just enough artifice which I think comic book movies should have. Should have. I think so too. You know, and it has Christopher the, Walken. Yes. So that's every time I watch that movie. I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer and Danny Vier, of course, oh, beautiful oh, work. Oh my Michael gosh, Keen. everybody's she was the best Catwoman. Oh my gosh. Oh my, forget it. Yeah, it's <laughs> forget just, about I can't it. Even, I right. Can't even. Um, <laughs> but Walken in that movie just, you know, is, he just slays every yeah. dialogue. Perf- like that, throw out a higher window, like all that. He's it's such a. Did you have any scenes with him on that? Well, yeah, not not like interactive with him necessarily, but he was in the same room with me a couple of times. Yes, he he walked in to uh, to talk with uh, Penguin upstairs from his head, campaign headquarters, yeah. and we were all kind of hanging out up there. <laughs> yeah, I remember and so that. So he walked past the us gang, and looked at us, of, and we're, yeah, and like, we're a, like like a kind of a music video looking right, gang. right, yeah, right. Yeah. And that was the first time I met actually saw him and met him. Uh, uh, he. He walked onto the set and was just kind of looking around, and I was already in place on the floor with my leg kind of hoisted over my shoulder. Yeah, and he, he's Christopher Walken, just kind of looking around the room, and I thought, oh my gosh, that's Christopher effing Walken. Yeah, yeah. And his eyes were getting closer and closer to meeting mine. I'm like, oh, he's going to make eye contact. Oh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, here it comes. And so when he did, I was like, I gave a goofy wave, like, <laughs> hi, oh my gosh. And and he he kind of all he did was just a tilt of the head, like. Uh. <laughs> And, th- and then he kept looking around the room. I was like, oh, my gosh. And his eyes are so crystal blue, like yeah. cold, like icy, that I thought, he's going he's gonna to kill me. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, now that he's aware of me, I'm dead. <laughs> I didn't I'm know. in real trouble. Yeah. Now I'm on the radar. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, it's funny because he's you know, one of those great villain actors. And oh, it's, God. But then at the same time, you can watch him in something like uh, The Dead Zone, the Cronenberg film. Or, he's so... or Hairspray. <laughs> yeah, and he's exactly. hilarious. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you've had a similar career, I think, you know, in terms of playing you know, mean, scary character, but also sort of lovely, sweet, vulnerable characters. And, you know, I think of some mm. like, um, you know, Mimic, which was your first film with... Del Toro. With Del Toro, yeah. right. Like, when you first came on that, you know, and, and and getting to know Guillermo and stuff, did you have a sense of like, wow, there's, you know, this director's really neat. I'm, I think there's a good synergy here. Was, it, was there any kind of fadedness to you, to that interaction, or was it just another job at first? No, uh, we, at first it was on the job, especially because it was reshoots. I, I was not. Okay. The, I was not the the actor who played most of the scenes as the Long John, uh, the the big bug characters that were, uh, that that were mimicking humans. Right. H- hence the name of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was uh, that was filmed in Toronto, 
and uh, and I, it was a Canadian actor, and I'm, I was in Los Angeles, an American actor. So when they were doing the reshoots for it or pickup shots, about three weeks before the movie came out in theaters, they were they were on a tight tight like get this again, we got to fix this scene. You know, they had to add little bits in and visuals that weren't kind of missing from the original movie. Uh, I got a, I got this this call. Uh, from the Creature Effects shop, uh, Rick Lazzarini's shop, that uh, had, and they were LA based, so they were doing the reshoots and pickup shots in Los Angeles. To get a Canadian actor down there would be flights, hotels, per diems, yeah, work sure. permit, the whole thing. Right. So you get who do we have that's tall and skinny? I came out, out came that Rolodex that I'm in. The and, tall skinny uh, Rolodex. The, yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I got the call. Uh, and right. it, was, it was the same day of thing. Uh, you know, are you free tonight for a night shoot? And so, yes, I was, as many out-of-work actors are available that day. <laughs> yeah. Same day. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I was on it for a total three days. Okay. And I did not meet director Guillermo del Toro until the second day because the first day I was up on a, on a four-story building with a rain machine hitting me and I was getting yelled at through a me- megaphone on the ground. So I couldn't even, I wasn't even near him. It's, it's so, it's all so very like, um, doesn't that sound elegant? And people think of stardom and being a movie star. Yeah, no. Just, I, just that, what you described, that sounds no, so. No, hellacious, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was til- you know, tilting over the edge of a building, you know, Getting facing, rained on, facing death every every well, every. Well, someone take. screams at you. <laughs> <laughs> Move to the left, you know. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, uh, but yeah. Um, so the set was my second day. We were we were indoors the second day uh, on a green screen uh, soundstage, and it was a, a much smaller crew. And lunchtime, Guillermo del Toro sat across the table from me, and uh, his first words were, "So tell me everything you've been in before." And that's when I just kind of like, well. It was nineteen. That was nineteen ninety seven. So by then, I had done. You know, I'd done Hocus Pocus. I'd right. done Batman Returns. Right. I'd done. Um, I'd done. Uh, I'm trying to think, a lot, a ton, a ton of commercials. I'd done the Mac Tonight commercials for McDonald's by then, and uh, and so I every every everything I mentioned, he I'd done Warriors of Virtue by then as right. well. Uh, he knew the makeup and creature effect. A Tank Girl I'd done by then as well. That's uh, a fun movie. That's a fun one, right? Yeah, that's a fun yeah. movie. My uh, one of my producers on the show just loves that movie. No, really, yeah, he adores it. <laughs> and how many actors can say they played a kangaroo man human, uh, you know, hybrid twice? I, that would be Warriors of Virtue. And you Tangirl. know, Christopher Walken also did another kangaroo movie. But we're on the topic of Christopher Walken. Oh, Jack. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. okay. So, but he didn't play a kangaroo. Right. See, that's see. So I've played a kangaroo man twice, and I twice? played a fish man twice. How did you play kangaroo man twice? We were kangaroo hybrids in uh, both Tank Girl and Warrior. Oh, and Tank Girl. That's right. Mm-hmm. I was one of the rippers. Yeah. Wow. You're. That's. Yeah. That's yeah. like your. That's your thing now. Then. Yeah, but I. Well, that or fish man. I've been uh, between Hellboy and The Shape of Water. I've been a fish man twice. These are. So, I don't think anybody else can say either of those things. No. Which is. No. 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 Makes, makes me special, doesn't you it? You are special. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I think, that's, I think this is one of many ways. We'll be back to the show in a moment. If you love what we're doing on Spill Your Guts, we could use your support helping to bring you more conversations with horror's icons, celebrities, creatives, and genre-defining artists. Please show your support by contributing whatever you can on our Patreon page. You can find us at www.patreon.com forward slash spill your guts. All one word. If memberships are your thing, be sure to subscribe to our channel for exclusive bonus content, contests, and giveaways. Also, 
please check us out on all the major social media channels for all things SYG. Thank you for listening, and now, let's get back to it. Uh, no, I was, I was just asking you, sort of, like, if, if you know, meeting Guillermo and, and, and uh, you know, because that's turned out to be a, a, a friendship and a, and a, and a working yeah. relationship that, that is, you know, I, I imagine oh, very special for you. You asked about if he, if, right, if I knew right away that he was different and special. And yes, yeah. yes I did. Because of that, that childlike wonder in his eyes when he asked me to talk, to talk about my, what else have I done? And when I told him all of the, the creature effects people I'd worked with, and uh, he knew all of them or knew of them, right. and wanted wanted to know like what are they like as a was he a nice guy? Oh yeah, and you know, <laughs> and and he, he the fact that he could rattle off right away who the, who did the makeup before I told him uh, meant that he had studied and you know almost almost worshipped monsters in right. movies. I, so I knew he had a had a a twelve year old boy in him that was yeah. still very much alive and yeah. very inquisitive. And just loved creepy crawly things, so that that was different. And any uh, and he was good humored and self effacing and made makes fun of himself with with such finesse. <laughs> he's, Gusto. Yeah, he's hilarious. <laughs> I remember when I was uh, first getting to know George Romero. One of the things that George said to me early on is he said, I, "If I ever get the chance, I really want to introduce you to Guillermo del Toro." And I guess they had become friends at that point. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Oh, well, that'd be great." But why do you say that though? He said, "It'd be interesting to hear you two talk about monsters." And uh-huh. I was like, why? And he's, he was like, you talk about monsters a lot. Guillermo talks about monsters a lot. He, but he also said something that was really neat, I thought. George said that, um, he said, Guillermo loves to meet young filmmakers. And he does. He, he really, he said, I've never quite seen a guy who's, you know, who's as successful and, and, and established, who, who never loses that love of just getting on talking to people about mm-hmm. film and cinema and why they want to do it and what their passions are. He said, mm-hmm. you know, and I mm-hmm. thought that was such a, a neat thing. This is an so interesting true. thing to, for someone who's as successful as, as Guillermo's become mm-hmm. to maintain that and to keep mm-hmm. that. Um, because it's easy to get kind of, you know, that sort of becomes old hat. And now I'm, you know, a lot of people get that way. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that he hasn't is kind of wonderful. It is. It's 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 very heartwarming to see him interact with young filmmakers. Uh, I've been next to him at conventions many a time, or when we're promoting something, and we'll meet somebody who's. And I, I hear a lot of like, "Hi, Guillermo. I'm I'm a, I'm in film school myself right now." And like, "Do you have any advice?" He, he gets that question a lot. Any yeah. advice? What do you give me a pearl of wisdom that I can carry for the rest of my life? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and. Uh, uh, it's it's funny. I think directors and filmmakers um, are le- much like actors, different personalities, different types, uh, different different needs and different backgrounds. And uh, what gets you to to be, what gets you to that place where you're where you can call yourself a success? Different paths get you yes, there. Yes. Yeah. Right. So uh, so a piece of advice that Guillermo gave once that I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, I hope no one from a university ever hears you say this. But, but, <laughs> but he said he said. Don't go to film school. <laughs> That's what he said to a young a young filmmaker once. Like, I was like, Guillermo, are you? <laughs> Don't. Yeah, uh, yeah. And he 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 said, if you if you're good if you if you're creative and uh, you get a camera, spend the same amount of money on a good camera, get your friends together, put your money into making a film. Yeah. Get that out there first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is instead of owing a university, you know, a lot of money. A lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. okay. I got a similar piece of advice from, uh, you know, I won't say his name is because he specifically said, don't tell anyone I said this because I'll get a lot of trouble. But I'll tell you after when we're not recording. Um, He said to me, uh, I was 19 and I was on the set of this film and he was on it doing sort of a cameo. And I said, you know, should I go to film school? I'm really on the fence. And he said, take that money, go shoot a short film or something. 
you'll learn about how keeping people fed is important. They don't teach you about craft services and teach you the stuff you really need to know. Like, yes, it's great to know about storytelling. There's a lot of great books that can tell you all that theory and all that stuff. But if you don't know how to keep your crew happy, how to treat people with respect and kindness, and he said the other thing is just be nice. Be nice to people. It's really important. Don't be a jerk. Nobody likes to work with jerks. Super important. Yeah. Or if it rains at your location, what do you do then? Yeah, right. (laughs) Right? You you learn all that by making your own film. Yeah, like, and I remember, you know, making my first, it was a f- I'm on my first feature, you know, where I was in it and I edited and I just needed you know, because you don't have money to pay people to do those roles. Right. And I had this this character I played in it where I, I orchestrated. It was a slasher film and I orchestrated this great death for myself. Where I was going to get shot with an arrow and I would fall in this creek. <laughs> and I thought this is going to be so you know dramatic and cool and the, the water will splash. And oh, be bl- except by the time we got to shoot it, it was October <laughs> in Northern Ontario. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like in this creek and. The shaking starts, <laughs> and then I'm sitting there and I'm yelling to the camera, "Just get the damn shot!" <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and that's when I realized I really didn't want to be an actor because that's that was too uncomfortable for me. Um, I'm much, a like, much like when we did the Shape of Water here in in Toronto. Uh, I can only imagine. We started the film in the summer when it was warm and muggy out. Yeah, and we didn't get till the the finale when I'm we're in the rain at the docks, uh, and I have to jump in the water with with Eliza. Uh, uh, we did that in o- late October. Oh my god! Yeah, so it was the night shoots, freezing ass cold with a, a rain no, machine. I bet. Oh yeah, and <laughs> they they tried to warm the water in the rain machine before, it, but it, flying through the cold air by the time it hit you, it was like little ice pellets. It was oh my just god! Horrible. That's terrible. It was horrible. Hellboy. Uh, you know, I, I loved the comics. So when the movies came out, I was mm. the target audience, and mm-hmm. I loved the films. Uh, the Abe Sapien character, though, is a particular highlight for me in the comics and in, mm-hmm. in the films. And it, it was interesting to me, you know, particularly that that component of like when you're getting to play a character more than once. In this case, you got to play the Abe character twice, and and I think you voiced him in some cartoons. In the stuff cartoons too, too I did. yeah, right. Yeah. Um, is that a thing though, where you're kind of, you know, on, by the second film, are you trying to go? Well, I have to keep a continuity with the first one, or does it give you a chance to do new things with the character and try new things with them, as well as, of course, maintaining that continuity? But you get to, did you get to sort of experiment with him a bit and do different things in the second film? Yeah, uh, the big difference between part one and two, um, uh, character-wise, was a love interest in the second one. Right. So, and Abe had never experienced that before, so that was a, that was a, you know, a, a, a sense of discovery. Yeah, for for Abe and me, you know, how do you how do you how does a fish man who's falling in love for the first time? So I had to revisit my teenage years and like my first crushes and whatnot. And like yeah. how, how do you get get back to that? Uh, so that, that was lovely to to also. I was still the intelligent, book smart, uh, refined gentleman part of the BPRD team to counteract, gear, uh, 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 you know, Hellboy's brute, cigar smoking, cussing, beer drinking. Yes, know? yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a it's a great yin and yang that we had together. And uh, but then, then to add like puppy love romance into that was a, was a sweet um, different difference. Yeah. yeah. I mean, of course, too, like it's you've talked about it a lot was that in the first film, they dubbed your voice over it in the second. You got to keep your. Right. So my performance didn't change from one from part one to part two. Uh, it's just the, what they laid over me in post-production. Right. That's what, what was different from the first one. And, you know, again, that's a that's a, a, a long, painful story. But you've <laughs> talked about it a lot and we don't have to yeah, talk about it. Again. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I just think it's, <laughs> you know, in the second film to me, it. it it's really exciting when you watch it now, getting to know that that's through and through your performance. You know what I mean? Because yeah, I feel it's a, it's a rarity to right. to get to if you've been dubbed over as a character, then to come do a sequel and and your own voice is being heard now. 
Yeah. And that was a promise Guillermo made me when 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 he informed me that, that my voice was going to be dubbed over by David Hyde Pierce in the first movie. He did say, if we get to make a second one, it will I'll keep your voice. And so he lived up to his promise. And right. I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the second film, you need to play three different characters, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty cool because they're all the three of them are all different. They're very different. Yeah. Um, you know, was it, how did you kind of when you're playing those three different characters? You know, we were talking about this a bit before you were recording. Mm-hmm. But how do you sort of carve out? You know, you, of course they have a different look, and then you're going to worry about how they move and, and creating an identity for them that way. But like, you know, I also noticed it's even just things like watching how you inhabited the space with those characters, those mm. three different characters, you know, the way you moved in a space and filled a space was very different. You know what I mean? And, and mm. I'm not Thank sure you. if I'm articulating that well, but do you know, is, is that something that Guillermo and you worked on together? It's like, how do we make sure that these characters, you know, feel very different from one another? Well, it's, it also happened in Pan's Labyrinth as well. Right. right where I played uh, the fawn oh, yeah, the the and, and the pale, pale man. Yeah, right. right. So you two very different characters. Yes. And in Hellboy 2, yes, three different characters. Um, so that that does present a challenge when you're in the same movie as the same actor, but you have to, you know, channel something very different on, on film back to back. Yeah. And how do you do that? Well, the uh, uh, the creature effects team is a big help because your look changes so dramatically from right. one character to the next. Yeah, it's not just Doug Jones playing a, a human, three different characters. Yeah, so like that, a Peter that, Sellers thing or something. Right, 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 <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. So it does help a lot that it, my looks were so completely different from each other. Right. Um, and but what comes with those looks is also uh, either constrictions or enhancements that that also help inform what's how how this character is going to be and and present. Uh, himself itself uh, so like in in pan's labyrinth the fawn was 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 very uh gestury and handsy but all but also like had i got some direction from guillermo to make you know because you're trying to channel a goat and a man and a tree kind of like because my, my feet were my legs were hoof feet but they were kind of also tree branchy rooty looking yes right so he's he's from the earth and he represents all that so <laughs> so it was it was a lot to and, and i had to age backwards as well so when you first meet the fawn in the beginning of the pan's labyrinth he's decrepit and you know got cataracts in his eyes and he's kind of grayish and colorless and as the movie progresses he gets younger every time you see him and more fluid with his with his movement and more more postured, so uh, that was that was you know quite a a thing to delve into. The pale man was quite opposite. He was he was um, uh, well. In fact, you mentioned George Romero. Um, <laughs> I came out of the gates on take one uh, of uh, the first thing we shot in the pale man scene was was me chasing uh, little Ophelia down the hallway. This is after I woke up at the table after I after I swatted away the uh, fairies, fairies yeah. and ate one of them. Yeah. Or two of them, and, um, <laughs> as you do, they were yeah. delicious. <laughs> yum yum yum. <laughs> you go for a second, yeah. Um, yeah but then, then, then I'm chasing her down the hallway, and uh, that, so we we did the hallway th- scene first, and so I, you know, in this makeup, this look, it was so dramatic looking, you know, with no eyes in the face, but eyeballs in the hands, and you're yeah, coming such down a the hallway. How do so you do cool, it? Yeah. So yeah, so uh, and and I th- I could have sworn that he told me to make him gangly and disjointed and 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 gallopy. Yeah. So that's how I came I came galloping down the hallway, you know, gangly and disjointed. Yeah. No, no, no. He says to me after 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 I got this direction from him, you know, weeks before. Yeah. And I'm like, did I remember that wrong? He goes, "No, I I, I want he said, "Give me a George Romero zombie." I'm like, "Oh, well that makes more sense because he's been asleep for how no how yeah. long?" 
and creaky uh, and might be more lurk. stiff and creaky exactly yeah, right and there is something more intimidating about that slow walk down the hall yes yeah uh, if I run fast, I could just catch her, and that's that's right. the end of it. But yeah. the anticipation, and there's a pile of children's shoes in the pale man's chamber that, like, you know, he's 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 been successful before. Yeah, he's pulled. This so off, he's yeah. she's going to tire at some point, and he's going to get her. Yeah, yeah right, because yeah. she's trapped, and yeah. he'll get her. So the slow, so the slow, creepy, like <clears throat> I'm coming after you, and uh, was. Uh, was way the better choice, and so. Yeah. But again, it was shorthand with him. He, George Romero zombies, all I had to hear, and I knew what I was doing. So right. Um, uh, and as the font, but the font was very articulate and very gestury. Yeah. Uh, then let's go to Hellboy Two. You've got Abe Sapien, who is Abe Sapien, the Angel of Death, and the Chamberlain are the three characters I played, and they were all very handsy. Right. Um, and Guillermo wanted them all handsy. Right. Yeah. So so Abe Sapien, we only the only direction I ever got from him on Abe starting back at Hellboy 1 was when he saw me gesturing uh, tilting my head like a, like a curious fish and then my hands kind of being like floaty fins in water like like Abe was always in water yeah so even in, in the thin air he was in water so uh, he loved that and he said that keep that I like that that's all we ever said about it and I, he never directed me there's something very sort of um painterly almost just sort of he's almost seems like he's you know sort of creating something in the air all the time you know I mean, it's this wavy thing but it's there's like he's manifesting while he's doing it it's <laughs> such a wonderful thing thank you yeah. thanks that's very very lovely uh so so abe abe is very uh, his hands are like fins in water that's kind of how I, I i thought of him the angel of death was also handsy and gestury but more the angel of death had no idea and that was the more androgynous character right uh so he she wasn't quite sure that 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 they had faded over time um i i think at one point that i that the angel of death was young and beautiful and and like you know a, 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 a a beaming thing to behold yeah and they were still in that in that that mindset that i'm gorgeous so that's how i presented myself with you know just a flourish of I'm here. I'm unveiling myself, and aren't I? <laughs> You're playing Elizabeth me. Taylor, yeah. Yes, <laughs> not not realizing that I'd cracked over the right. years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was that was that, and then the Chamberlain, the piece of direction I got from Guillermo on that one. Now, the Chamberlain, just to remind everybody, that was the boxy-headed looking thing that was uh, uh, the greeter uh, when our our main nemesis, Prince Nuada, uh, played by Luke Goss. Uh, he returns to the underworld to confront his father, the king of the elves, to uh, kind of grab a piece of his crown to to put that the three pieces together that would wake up the golden army. Anyone who hasn't seen the movie right now is just like, what? Whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. I know. Uh, so anyway, so there was a reason he had to come back and confront his father, uh, the king. I was the the chamberlain that that kind of like uh, you to pass through me to get to the throne room, right? Now I know the prince very well. We he grew up with me uh, being the chamberlain for his dad. So oh, Prince Nuada, welcome home, sire. You uh, you must before you enter the council chamber, you must surrender your weapons. <laughs> so that was that was that piece of dialogue, and and I had hands that were puppeteered. They were uh, they were puppet hands with really super long skinny fingers that, that no even finger extensions on me wouldn't have played the same. So they were these uh, multi jointed. Um, long, expressive fingers that were being puppeteered by somebody off camera. So again, they had to work in concert with me. I held the elbow area on sticks down here under a robe, and then I would just, so I was, I was 
operating the gesturing of the arm. So you were doing sort of the puppeteering. And somebody else had to do the fingers, okay. right? Okay. So we did have to work in concert with each other yeah. again. And uh, but uh, the as far as presenting him and 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 uh, Guillermo gave me one piece of direction for the Chamberlain. He said, "Dougie, when you play the Chamberlain, I just want him to have sort of a uh, ew." <laughs> so he, he made a facial expression, a sound, and a hand gesture, and I knew exactly. I you like, understood what that was. Got it. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, Got yeah. it. <laughs> so. Right. That's so funny. I mean, that is definitely you know the great advantage. I think one of them to working with with, with someone over and over again, right? Is you get you develop that short. You do. You do. You figure out like give me one of those. Yeah. Just replace ten minutes of conversation. You know. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge. It can be a huge asset. It's, yeah. It's interesting too. I, I I can't believe that this isn't in my notes because it just popped into my head that I was like I, if I had. Done this interview without asking about this, I would have hated myself. The gentleman from, from Buffy. Buffy. Yeah. yeah, I saw that. I was a Buffy fan. Mm-hmm. Still am. Um, and I remember seeing that episode. Hush. It's a brilliant episode of television, just all around. But but that character of the gentleman was so scary to me, just because. You know, I, the example I think was, I remember Roddy McDowell talking about, who's a wonderful villain actor, I've always thought. Because Roddy McDowell kind of knew the, thing, the same thing that you know, that playing a villain with a smile Mm-hmm. Is so much scarier most of the time so than the kind of kind of right, thing, right? right. The glowering, like, um, and the gentlemen who are just like these sort of very constantly grimacing, like, yeah, and don't make a peep. Like that yeah. is, you know, one of your most, in some levels, your most physical performances because you didn't. There's no dialogue, no dialogue, right? And, and, and we stole the voices of everybody in town, so yeah. nobody talked for about a half hour of that of that hour. Episode. Fairly unheard of thing on network it was television. Quite, quite uh, uh, daring, I think. Yeah. for Joss Whedon to do that and the network fought him on it but he uh, he prevailed and I'm, I'm glad because uh, instead of losing viewers they leaned into the TV to pay closer attention because they were you know it was all like what? <laughs> yeah. all, all this visual stuff going on and they, they didn't want to miss a beat you know yeah so, yeah but but uh, playing the leader of the gentleman uh, uh, we were also very gestury and very tilty of the head and very smiley. We, we had these smiles plastered. We could not not smile. He, uh, Joss was like, you're smiling the entire time, big teeth. But that wasn't makeup. That was just you smiling? Well, we had uh, uh, the my my cohort, my, the, the two leads were me and uh, Camden Toy. And the two of us, uh, are, they, had, they had the original, had all, I think there were a total of six gentlemen on film, on camera, and they originally had the makeup design with a smile built in on the outside, okay. of, outside of our like faces. a prosthetic kind of thing, like a prosthetic fa- yeah. mask sort of thing, right? With some, these huge smiles built in. But then when we, uh, when Camden and I auditioned for for Joss Whedon, um, he, we were the two that he was like, "Oh my gosh, when those two smiled at me, I got so creeped out." <laughs> so he wanted them to redesign our, the makeup for Camden and me. The rest of them still had those those big smiles on the outside of their okay. their mask, and we were the two that, that they built a prosthetic or just to glue to our lips so we could manipulate our own smiles. Okay, and then we were given metal uh, denture teeth to wear to make our, those those big metal teeth. Yeah, yeah. So as we so you talk you think smiling for wedding photos gets tedious or or gets gets <laughs> gets twittery, twitchy. Oh my gosh, you're doing two weeks of you know this episode. By the end of it you're like <laughs> oh, my face hurt every day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> smile, smile, smile. Yeah. But uh, but you know and we also floated about, you know, Six inches above the ground. Yeah. We never, our feet never touched the ground. We just floated around. There was, there was 
many creep Wonderful factors about it. Creations all around. And, yeah. and I have rarely creeped myself out watching my performances. But the, it was the the pale uh, the pale man from Pan's Labyrinth and the gentleman from Buffy are the two times that I've been like, huh, huh, yeah, chilled yeah, by my own performance. Yeah. Uh, yep. like, something yep. was just so because Buffy to me was never there was rarely an episode of Buffy that I actually thought was scary. I mean, it was a hard horror fan, you know. And Buffy yeah. was the fun horror the show, fun horror, I, of course, except for that episode. Yeah, which I remember right. like, eh. but, but you're mm. but you're also the gentlemanly gesturing too when Camden and I are performing our surgery on that college kid yeah we bust into his dorm room and yeah you know, it's horrific terrifying yeah you know, and we're but we're nodding at each other no you go first oh here's the knife Handing, why don't you yes. have it yes thank you oh so thank very you. polite all and... the nonverbal dialogue was so, so polite and gentlemanly yeah. hence our name the yeah gentleman. so so that's you're right this so the the kindness and smiley and and gentle uh, touch mixed with they're cutting someone's heart out. And well, they're like <laughs> no anesthesia there. Yeah, yeah, no. So yeah, no. That that's terrifying. They're not polite enough to give him some dope. So, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, it's funny because I think of that too. It's I remember Rodney McDowell did um this movie called Dead of Winter. I think Arthur Miller, I think, was the director, and he plays a a very sweet sort of lovely felon who's just an evil bastard. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was an interview he was talking about that how he said you know when you're playing these sinister characters he said it becomes so flat so quickly if you just play the evil. And you have to always remember that your character doesn't know they're evil. You have to keep that in mind at all times. And that is key when you're playing yeah. a, ba- a bad guy character. You don't wake up going, how can I be evil today? Right. You wake up going, how can I survive today like anybody else? Yeah. And you make bad choices to do so. Right. <laughs> That's kind of how, yeah. how I played my bad guys. And, you know, speaking of that, like I was thinking of, you know, when I revisited Pan's Labyrinth, which... You know, I have kind of a short list of what I would describe as perfect movies, and it's just one of those movies where mm. where just the alchemy of all those elements that line up to create this, you know, um, the harmony of all the different departments and uh, the script and then the performance, everything to make a perfect movie. And I think Pan's Labyrinth is on that list. I do too. Pretty yeah. high. I think it's yeah. just a master. F- like it's it's perfect. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to pay a better compliment. There you than go. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. Uh, you know, when I was watching it again, I was thinking, you know, you, you've got this character in the in the, the fawn who's a, a trickster. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. can't really trust the fawn. He's not entirely what you think he is. Right, you don't know. Yeah. yeah, you don't know. And I was curious watching it again. You know, the, there's some scenes with Ophelia where he's quite tender and sweet. Mm-hmm. Is that real, do you think, if in that character? Is, is, is he really being empathetic in those I moments? I do think so. Because okay. it, it builds up to that end piece where... Uh, where after she has uh, has died and then is now back in the underworld and taking her rightful place at the right hand of her yeah. father. And he's there. The fawn comes out from behind a pillar and says, you have chosen wisely, your highness. Right, yeah. And takes a bow to her. That's that, it all built up to that moment. Yeah, it's pretty key, I guess, in yeah. understanding that character. I mean, it's yeah. such an interesting thing about him is he's almost like an unreliable narrator type character. Yeah. Where throughout the whole film, you're going... I don't know if I quite trust that guy. <laughs> like he's, right. you know. And I heard um, in an interview, Guillermo saying that uh, that the that the fawn and and the pale man are two sides of the same coin. I believe is how he worded it, or something along those lines. Which is hence why he wanted me to play both characters. Right? What does he mean well, by that? I think I think uh, my interpretation was that 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 the pale man was a creation of the fawns because that was one of the many tests she had to pass. Right. Uh, was was getting past the pale man. Okay. Know? And she failed because she grabbed food off the table when told yeah. not to, yeah. you know, and um, that woke him up. And but she, you know, had to get a key out of a certain thing, and you know, in that scene. So, uh, you know, I, I think, um, I, I, he was, I just, I just saw him as a creation of, uh, and maybe the fawn, you know, inhabits 
the different the different you know when, when yeah. she was when she was in underground and, and met that big frog that she had to get I something love the frog. out of yeah, the, I frog love the frog was, right the frog was great yeah might that have also spin off yeah right <laughs> might that have also been a creation of the fawns right and might might he inhabit that or, or morph into that so that she can confront it and, and pass that test and he's like so he he's aware every step of the right. way of, of what she's doing when she's away from him I think I mean the fawn is such a um, you know and, and when people see the show, we'll make sure they get to see Matthew Tyrion's amazing yes. portrayal behind you here. But it's such a um, remarkable character. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I know actors don't like to play favorites, but surely he must be one of your favorite creations that you've gotten to play. Yeah, it is, it is impossible. <laughs> to. See. I get the favorite question all the time. Yeah, and it, that's why I was trying not to it, it's, it's There's hard. a reason you get asked. Because yeah. you've, you've played all these wonderful characters, <laughs> yeah. and I have to wonder, you know, getting to... It, part of the fun of doing this show is when I talk to to you know, amazingly talented people, I get to go and have an excuse for a living to watch all their wonderful works. Yeah. And there's worse cakes, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, right. And watching these, you know, amazing characters. But the font has something, I think because he's such a full-fledged character is, you know, and, and so well-realized as a as a personality. He has a personality, his feelings, and we care about him as a character. You know, and I think looking at these characters, you know what I mean? It, when you're developing a character like Gabe Sapien, you know, who preexisted in a comic book form, right? But mm-hmm. but something like the Fawn is a complete creation of yours. Do you come out and kind of get to do your first impression and then Guillermo or, or, or you know, on different projects where you've created a character, do they kind of let you take your first kick in the can and then modulate with you? Or what's kind of the early process of creating that yeah. character? Well, again, now again, Del Toro is a, a very collaborative director. Right. And, and so when he brought me on to Pan's Labyrinth, uh, he did it, you know, wanting me to bring whatever I could to the table. Yeah. Uh, only direction I got for the fawn was to about the aging backwards thing yeah. that we talked about. I'm and getting there's sort of a theme there of Guillermo kind of giving you like one thing, a little and, couple things, yeah. yeah. And the other thing he gave me was uh, to um, to sort of like uh, uh, channel what the hind quarter of a barn animal, a yeah. goat, a cow. How do their hooves meet the ground? How do they how do they um, shake off flies? Can you work right. that in somewhere? So there's yeah. a couple times where you'll see me give it a little jitter. That was that was a Del Toro. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. Um, and then you know, and and the hooves and and the, the the planting of myself as I as I would walk or take a step. Um, uh, it, it was just, yeah. But otherwise, otherwise, uh, the the trickstery thing. Um, the you don't know if he's good or evil. What is he? Is he guiding this girl to her ultimate demise or her or her ultimate glory? You don't know, right? Uh, so that ambiguity ambiguity was was presented to me, and I just kind of took it. Uh, when we were filming the first, I think I, we did the uh, the first week of filming that I did on Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, Guillermo came up to me on day day seven or eight and said. Uh, I know you have not heard much from me, my friend, but that's because you're getting it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was really yeah. sweet. I, I said, I know, I know how you direct, and I thank you for that. Yeah, it's really right. sweet. He said, well, you know, if, if something goes wrong, I'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it was really sweet. And do you like that kind of direction? With love it. With it. Oh, yeah. gosh, yeah. love it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've, I, I've had that with, with actors as a director where that's kind of my, the way I am as well as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I, I When I'm on set, I just kind of think that, you know um, – and it's usually just a time thing, right? You're just trying to keep moving because it's mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. on independent films and things. Mm-hmm. But, but I actually had an actor once sort of stop and be like, "I like a little more feedback. I want to know that you're happy with. It. I want you to tell right. me." Right. Well, that was him telling me that he was happy with yeah, it. Yeah. So, right. So I didn't need to worry about it, and and I knew that by about him by that point. Uh, but, um, but I also do love when I get a tweak. You know, if, yeah. Uh, uh, this this might be better if you add a little bit more tension, a little more anger, a little more 
urgency or what, whatever those key words are that, that make you go, oh, all right, okay, got it, got you. Yeah. That's nice. It's nice. And then you might do that and it might feel more real. And you're like, oh, gosh, thank you for that note. Yeah. I, many- but, yeah, I would think especially with a character like that, too, because uh, for the fawn, you had to, to say the dialogue in Spanish, oh, right? God, Which yes. was like a, just like phonetically saying the dialogue Not in phonetic. Spanish. Not uh, phonetic. Phonetic was when you take a sound in and just re- regurgitate right, that sound. Right, okay, yeah. Uh, this was, I actually learned the language of the film. So uh, I had Jeez. an English script, Spanish script, side by side. I broke down sentence structure. I knew what I was saying exactly. Right. And I also knew what Ophelia was saying because I had to have a dialogue back and forth with her. Uh, he gave me the option to count to 10 <laughs> if I wanted to. He, he, Guillermo wasn't that worried about the dialogue, and I was terrified of it. Yeah. Oh, don't worry about it. Uh, You've got to play the fun. Because uh, <laughs> he, he was just planning on you know dubbing me with the right Spanish voice. And I'm like, but I wanted to give him that lip sync yeah, if I sure. was going to do that. So yeah. I need, really needed to buckle down and learn that dialogue. So I did. And by the time I was done and it came out of my mouth, um, a, the Spanish crew, and we filmed in Spain, um, I heard more than once, like uh, people would come up and st- start speaking Spanish to me, right? Just casual, thinking that you, casually, thinking yeah. that she knew it. <laughs> so that's when I knew I pulled it off. Uh, and and my makeup artist, uh, the Oscar-winning DDT Efectos Especiales, uh, David Marty and Monse Ribe, they um, both told me they chatted with me one day, saying, "You know, you're, the 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 accent you've given the fawn, we can't really tell where you're from. You don't sound American." I'm like, oh, that's a great compliment. And that would have worked for the fawn because he comes from an, uh, the underworld. Another world, yeah. yeah. He's, he's not from Spain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So so that might have worked, actually, if I just like kept my mouth shut and not, not told Gary, I'm terrified, I can't do it. Yeah. I'm going to ruin your movie. Ah, get someone to dub. <laughs> and so anyway, yeah, who knows? Who knows what would have happened if we kept it. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, too, I, I watched um, Fear Itself when it was on. And I'm oh, a big fan did. of Larry Fessenden, who I think is a wonderful Yeah, I love, I love doing that Skin and Bones episode. So scary. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wendigo character. Doug, so scary. I'm I'm a pretty hardened horror guy. Yeah. I remember watching, you know, and not being, I wasn't a kid when I saw Fear Itself. I was yeah. a full-on yeah. adult. And you were so scary in that role. And it wasn't one where, you know, you have some slight makeup alterations, but mostly it's that he, one's just human, you. Human, human. Well, uh, again. With a monster in him. A monster in him. Right, yeah. Right, right, right. And the the worst the the heightened point they got me to was some contact lenses, some cheekbones, and a brow added in just to heighten the boniness of me. And then they might they give me different sets of dentures to make my teeth bigger and bigger and bigger as we got to the end of the of the episode. So I looked more teethy and yeah. more, more hollow in the face. It was really a lovely transformation. Um, and the character had lost sixty pounds. So that's why they needed a skinny guy. <laughs> so, uh, so they had pictures of me on the on the shelf, you know, on the nightstand in my house that were me with like you know uh, photoshopped. Oh, that's how they did. Added that. sixty pounds right. to me. Okay. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was it was just so great getting to see you do that. You know, where where it was that performance is so terrifying, and it's really just um body language and and you know and there's a fair amount of dialogue but but there was, yeah. the dialogue is when you're in that scene in the kitchen with the mom and oh, you're making, God. that's so horrible we're cooking, we're cooking up my brother in a stew <laughs> oh that was so disturbing and yet funny yes because uh, it's almost the grand guignol of that right like it's so well, right and larry larry uh, Pessenden uh did not originally mean that to be a funny scene but getting to know me ahead of time you know because we traveled up we shot that in, i think in in um I'm going to say Edmonton okay, in Canada. And he, uh, so we had some time, you know, at the hotel and the airports and, and him getting bantering back and forth and laughing a lot. He, he was like, you know what? 
So that kitchen scene, I want to make it more like a cooking show. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So I said, here's an onion and a carrot. <laughs> so it was like, oh, gosh, how disturbing. Uh, so that, the funny made it even more like the gentleman Buffy. You know, you've got yeah. these gentle, you know, smiley men. Here you've got like a guy who's like guiding her how to make soup. Well, that part where you're like, do it! I remember. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh. oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah. So he's 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 kind of good humored at some point, but then he's like terrifyingly angry. Yeah. He, anger's what drove him, right? Yeah. That was that was such a that was a really that was a layered character for me to jump into because uh, he was possessed by something that wasn't him, but there was still a slice of him in there. Yeah. So uh, so his jealousy of his brother and realizing that his that his brother who lived with him was was his ranch hand had impregnated his wife and his teenage boys were not really his bubbly stuff light stuff like light that. stuff yeah. like family issues yeah. <laughs> yeah all right so so with that anger with the, I, I guess and that knowledge is what opened him up to receive the wendigo when he was right. out in the wild and, and he, so his he friends comes, that were with him and his... he, he ate all his friends yeah. yeah my whole the entire and the horses so he comes walking back i'm not sure why he was so skinny if he was eating horses but right but he but i think the, the thing <laughs> the was rage that, ate him. Uh, you couldn't eat enough he right. was always hungry. like an insatiable right hunger, so yeah. it was just it was just working out of him somehow because the wendigo just changed more changed him physically it's just so fascinating because larry fesden has a real through line in his a lot of his films with the Wendigo, Wendigo who's been several, yeah. including a film he did called The Wendigo. But, right. but that face of the Wendigo was the scariest. I thought it was brilliant. Oh, um, well, thank you. That's really, that, very sweet. It's, uh, I recommend that episode to so many people. I'm like, yeah. you want to see a great little standalone? Because mm-hmm. anthologies, you know, has their ups and downs, but that's one where I'm like, watch Larry Fessenden's episode for yourself. Um, mm. uh, you know, and it was interesting too because you you did a it's not a horror film, but it's a terrifying character, The Midnight Man, where you got to play this sort of torture. Oh expert. gosh, you saw that? Oh, yeah, thank you. oh yeah, oh, yeah. I, I thought you were so wonderful in that. Okay, I, that I loved that was that such character. a character that on the page I was like, this could be so like just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you didn't do that with it. You made him like at first he's like he's very sort of erudite and, and kind yeah. of charming. And, he's a but refined he, And gentleman. seeing the most horrible, threatening things to this mm-hmm. man. Well, he was, uh, yeah, I got to play, um, it was with Will Kemp was the lead actor, and he was, he was. Uh, uh, I was a mafia, well, he, he, Will Kemp, I think, was a mafia hitman, if I remember yes, that's right. correctly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who was trying to make something right. And uh, so he's trying to track something down, and he, get, he ends up at my house, and I'm playing a grand piano, and I've got a, a wine and cheese tray out, and I'm, yeah, and I've got artwork that on the walls, and he's just such a, you know, uh, he was so refined, and uh, and spoke so eloquently, and then, uh, but then was, uh, uh, but he was he was a hired mafia torture specialist. Yeah. So in his basement was this chamber, <laughs> where again that Anthony Perkins thing, where you're, yeah. you present one way, but you have an underlying thing that is yeah. so the opposite. Uh, Almost the Hannibal Lecter like yeah. character than that. Well, regard. I was describing to him inch by inch how I was going to torture him. Yeah, but 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 and doing it in such a way like you were showing him a new piece of furniture. Like, and, right. This is when you do this, right. and then I'll be doing that. And what a privilege <laughs> it's going to be for you. Right. Aren't you excited like I am? Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, it was he was a lot to delve into psychologically. Oh, yeah. So much. Yeah, a lot of fun, I would think. Though. And so fun. Yeah. Gosh, yes. Because you know, in a way, he he is, um, you know classic villain stuff right mm-hmm. he, he, you've got the hero he's strapped in i'm gonna you know it is a bit right. bondian sure, of course yes you know yes. uh but 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 uh <laughs> yeah such a it was a lot that, that character is a lot of fun it was fun to see you just you know as, and you, as a human yeah well <laughs> as a human yeah but but you know um 
it was one of those things where like in a different context you might actually like that guy you know what I mean and that's yeah, kind of yeah. I think that's kind of the fun of playing villains like if you that, met him in an art gallery he'd, yeah. be, he'd be a lovely conversation this is why this is like it this brings totally yeah. totally right um, Shape of Water mm. um, you know <laughs> a fairly accomplished film mm-hmm. uh, won a couple of awards 13 Oscar nominations yeah, right. oh, that's and four right. wins including Best Picture yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh right <laughs> oh right oh right <laughs> Okay. I knew that was in my notes somewhere. Um, uh, <laughs> the Amphibian Man is an amazing creation, though, because I think as far as, you know, a, a, sort of the monster and a suit-type characters or the different things that we've seen throughout film, and this was a character to me that was like, uh, it would amaze me how for, for what an extensive amount of prosthetics and costume and stuff there was on it, how much of a performance you got through that. Um, oh, bless you. And that he's this character that has these animal-like qualities that come through, but also these human qualities that are sort of the romantic parts of this character. Mm-hmm. And the gamble of that character is that if those things didn't line up perfectly, I don't think audiences would have connected with him. And then it the would whole take thing you out of the work. story. Totally. Yeah. yeah. There's almost an ickiness of like, Oh, this woman's in love with a fish man. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? That yeah, could, yeah. that could have not worked in <laughs> with a different performance, a different director. Oh, well, bless, you know? thank you for that. How did you and, and, you know, Sally Hawkins and Guillermo all work together to find mm-hmm. that combination of, like, how do we make this guy human but not too human, yeah. animal but not too animal? You know, that must have been quite yeah. a, a balancing act. It was, it was indeed. Well, of course, being presented with a, another Fishman character after playing Ape Saving in the Hellboy movies, I my, my first question was a question all the fans ask. Is this a pre-story, a post-story? Is this a sequel? Is it a, yeah. a, a origin story for Abe Sapien? So Guillermo assured me that it was not that, a completely different character altogether. And uh, and while, while Abe Sapien was, very, uh, was, again, a refined gentleman with a big vocabulary, he reads three books at a time. Right. He's, uh, you know, very, very gentle and very gestury. He said he did not want to. So that tip, that thing we were talking about earlier, the Doug Jones, give me some Doug Jones. He said, I don't want to see any Doug Jones in the Amphibian Man. I want you to make, he's an animal from the wild. Yeah. That's what this is. Uh, and he gets, if, if he gets any re- refining, it's because of the Eliza character played by Sally Hawkins, who will, it's, it's her love and her romance with him that, that will bring him into some humanness. The sort of Beauty and the Beast kind of. Yes, yeah. exactly. So uh, and and also an homage to the creature from the Black Lagoon, which Guillermo is, which he's you know he said in all of his interviews about this about Shape of Water is that you know when he was a kid watching the uh, creature from the Black Lagoon and he saw when he first saw uh, Julie Adams you know swimming on the on the surface and you see the creature underneath this underwater shot of him, it should have been a terrifying moment which we all were going is she gonna die right now. But he was thinking, oh, how beautiful. I hope they get together. So that, <laughs> that's what makes him different. Yeah. Uh, and so the fact that, that it didn't end that way, he thought it was a complete injustice as a child watching this movie. So The Shape of Water was his way to make it all right again. Right. The creature does get the girl. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that, but, and again, shorthand direction, uh, what he would do, there was a, uh, there was a scene uh, in the bathtub. I was sitting in the bathtub and Richard Jenkins is babysitting me while Eliza is, oh, oh Sally Hawkins is off at work. Uh, and he's drawing, he's sketching me because he's, he's that advertising artist, if you remember his character in the, in, in the movie. And he ends up like kind of spilling his guts to me and kind of talking about life and love and what our purpose is and where we belong and all this while he's sketching me in the bathtub. And uh, so my first instinct is to listen to him 
and kind of gesture like, yeah, brother, I got gotcha. you. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, to give it a, a human reaction to this story because I'm because I can hear him and I understand every word he's saying. But I, uh, but Guillermo would see some of that and he would go, doggy, ha. He would just give me a gro- <laughs> uh, like a, a growl and be like, all right, animal, got it. Yeah. So, so then what I had to channel instead was the family dog. When you're talking to to Fido, you're such a good boy. Who's a good boy? Do you want a treat? The dog has no idea what those words mean, but he gets your intention, your inflection, your, yeah, the your tone something. And... So he's he's understanding some of you, but not all of you. Right. And I kind of had to get the, that mode. And um, Richard Jenkins gave me the sweetest compliment. Uh, he said, he said when this when he was sitting in there, uh, that was one of his first scenes with me. Right. Uh, that we filmed together, uh, and um, and he's sitting there. Uh, looking me in the bathtub and I'm just, you know, actor guy, Doug Jones, like, hey, but you know, waiting for this the camera to get set up and start. And, like, and he's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so hokey. <laughs> right. He was sure of it. And then, but when the camera rolled and action was called, he said something happened where all of a sudden he was looking at a, a mutant from the wild that, that he was fascinated by. And that was really sweet to hear someone as, as, you know, Brilliant, such, wonderful. Such a brilliant, wonderful actor as yeah. Richard Jenkins, Oscar yeah. nominated as well for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I, it was, I remember a friend of mine going to see the film. We were talking about it after. We didn't see it together. I, I, one of the few times I went to see a movie by myself yeah. was Shape of Water because I didn't want to wait for anyone else to go. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm just going because I I, I think I saw it opening day. You don't want to hear anything about it ahead of time. No, I don't. Use, I just wanted yeah. to go. And, and, and you know, I'm, yeah. I'm that person. Like, I have no trouble going to the movies by myself. Yeah. My husband's like, why didn't you tell me you were going? I'm like. I didn't want you to come. This wasn't about you. Yeah, this is just for me, okay? Um, uh, but it's also, I think that character, the amphibian man, is like, there's something cute about him. Mm-hmm. He's sweet. You know what I mean? He's, he yeah. is, for a character that, you know, if you just see a picture of him, you could go, oh, is there a reptile, fish mm-hmm. man? Or, mm-hmm. But there is something, you said the family dog, and I think that's kind of what it is. There's an innocence there, right, that you see in an animal, that mm-hmm. an animal would possess, that, where they're not cynical or any of that right. bullshit, right? And even I, even when he, when I ate the neighbor's cat, uh, right. you know, uh, uh, again, Richard Jenkins, uh, being that neighbor, uh, you know, said it's 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 his it's his nature. We can't fight that. You know, he yeah. was he was very forgiving of it, uh, just knowing that like I innocently I was hungry. That's yeah. all I knew. Wasn't doing it to be a jerk. Yeah, no, well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally not. Yeah, but but the uh, the uh, appeal of of this character visually, he had to be dateable. And that, yeah. was, that was that was the trick that, the, and desi- that is a trick. the designers had to come up with. Yeah. So I think the lips and the ass were two were two areas on the fish that were tooled and retooled. Yeah, like I'm looking re- at the picture. He does have a nice butt. He's the best butt I've ever had on film. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it had to be great. I, I think I've, I've told this story before, but it's one of my favorite moments. Uh, I, I knew that the butt was working. When one of my co-stars, Octavia Spencer, we were all sitting around, um, you know, in our set chairs between shot setups. And I got up and walked away. And all I heard Octavia say was, mm. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's working. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> um, what's, uh, what have you got coming up? What's, what's on the horizon? Well, aside from Hocus Pocus 2, uh, September 30th on Disney+. Plus. Um, uh, Star Trek Discovery. I'm currently se- filming season five, which so, is how we got you in here. You're right. That's why I'm in, in town to in film. Toronto, right, yeah. right. 
so Captain Saru continues on, uh, new adventures, new new things for season five. And um, also, uh, I've been a recurring guest on What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah, which is wonderful. Which again, t- speaking of horror meets comedy. Yeah. Uh, is heavy on the comedy, really. Yes, yes. <laughs> to play a, a, a hysterically funny show. To play an old school, old uh, from the old world uh, vampire who has powers and is intimidating, but is a complete doofus. It's been yeah. the joy of my life. He's to, so funny. I love playing the very Do you have a favorite line of his that you've had? That you, that you've had to... <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. I think after I, I, I uh, uh, ate pizza, I, I want the pizza pie. Uh, <laughs> and, and I fly all over the sky vomiting, projectile vomiting that, that propels me around the sky. And he lands f- on his back on the pavement. You think, oh, is he dead? Is he dead? And I open my eyes and say, totally worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I get there are so many great moments. The writers on that show are brilliant. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. So anyway, so uh, uh, season four had just started airing recently on FX Channel, and now been on Hulu the next day. Uh, and I don't know if it's. Do you have Hulu here in Canada or what? Is it? It's. I think it's Hulu goes through Disney, Disney Plus. I Disney think. Plus. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so anywho, um, so season four is airing. I, I do a return for another episode of season four, which is yet, yet to come. Excellent. Thank you so much. Oh, for coming. thank you so much for having it's me. It's been so much fun, and um, like I'm really glad I didn't do my original approach. I was just gonna go through an IMDb and just say like, what, what was this like? Yeah. What was this like? What? So I'm glad I wrote some questions <laughs> out. I think that's good. I actually, watched some of my things. I, very, I, yeah, very sweet. Yeah, idea. yeah. No, it's it's the least I can do. <laughs> I think you're wonderful. I think your films are wonderful. I want to see more monsters. I want to see not just monsters. I want to see more guys opening hands and seeing what if I flick this and flick that and Wendigos and I want to see it all. So keep, please keep going. I will do my best to, to, to appease you. Thank just you. for me, though. Yes, yes. And thank you. You're a wonderful interviewer. But seriously, thank you for this chat. You've been listening to Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts with host and filmmaker Kevin Lane. Kevin Lane's Spill Your Guts was created by Kevin Lane and produced by Cindy McLean. Production editing and sound design provided by Blaine Swanson and One House Studio. Video production and editing generously created by Matt Sampier. The Spill Your Guts theme and incidental music was created by composer Mike Haddon. Our supervising producer is Jason Hill. For exclusive bonus content, giveaways, and contests, Be sure to subscribe to our Patreon account at www.patreon.com forward slash Spill Your Guts. All one word. Spill Your Guts is only made possible by supporters and listeners like you. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of Kevin's conversations with some of horror culture's titans of terror, as well as the many hours of bonus content, consider subscribing to our channel. But that's not the only way you can support what we do. If you like what you hear and you want more, get the word out to your friends, your family, random people on the street, retail cashiers, unattended children, the hot guy you work with, on-duty members of law enforcement, anyone with a pair of ears and a taste for the guts and gore of horror. This has been Kevin Lane's Spill Your Guts. Thanks for listening.